Welcome back, everybody, to the Global DNA Series 4, Creating Genetics and Freedom. Today's title is The Evolution of Consciousness, and we are joined with the wonderful Neil Gar. Neil Gar is the founder of Portal to Ascension, a conscious event production company created in 2008 that hosts a wide range of presenters on a variety of topics, such as the origins of humanity, the existence of extraterrestrial life, exposing hidden truths, and exploring the nature of reality. He travels the world facilitating, facilitating gatherings and filming documentaries that are intended to empower the individual to reclaim their sovereignty and awaken their full potential. Neil also operates an online platform that creates and facilitates about 110 conferences and workshops a year. At this point, Portal to Ascension, Ascension has worked with over 1,500 researchers, spirit, spiritualists, scientists, consciousness explorers, and more. Neil is a philosopher, a historian, researcher, and spoken word artist. He presents his research on the ancient wisdom and future science of sound, vibration, and frequency, as well as in-depth explorations into ancient civilizations, archeological discoveries, space anomalies, shedding light on hidden esoteric wisdom and exploring ways in which we can create unity and peace on earth. Thank you, brother Neil. It is so wonderful to have you here. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, Akurda. Oh, yeah. You are an incredible human being in my, in my eyes. And what you have done with Portal to Ascension is spectacular. And so what, what really started you out with like this deep dive into like who, who we are, what we are, why we're here, how we're connected to the universe? Mm-hmm. Well, on one level, I'm kind of, I've kind of come to the understanding now it was, as you know, as a lot of people are into this, that it was like, it was meant to be, it was like something within my own consciousness and my code, that this was my experience to have on, you know, this lifetime is to wake up and to bring these truths out. But then how it happened on the linear aspect was like, I was actually raised into a Hindu family, right? So I was raised Hindu. And for a while, like my story has shifted recently, only last year. Because for a long time, I was saying I was an atheist Hindu, you know, so interesting. Like I would, my mom always asked me to see my presentations. Okay. But I don't ever want to show it to her because I always started out by saying I was an atheist Hindu and I'm afraid she might get offended, you know, <laughs> because she, because obviously she thinks I was like really into it all as I was a kid. But then when I, um, like just recently I shifted that perspective because what I realized is which was I was never told that my religion was the only way okay so because of that um you know already I was celebrating Christmas I knew about Jesus I knew that the Indian text talked about Jesus exists existing I knew the, uh about Moses very well like every um you know holiday season we would be watching like all types of shows on biblical truth so I started incorporating a lot of different beliefs into just my understanding of Hinduism and really realized the whole concept that Hinduism was a, was called Hindu Dharma, right? And um, even the word Hindu was actually changed. It was actually Sindhu, Sindhu Dharma. And what that meant was laws of the universe. It did not mean a religion. It did not really become a religion until the British came in and kind of like, well, like, what are these guys doing? So it was more like a way of life, a philosophy, than it was a religion. It was a very awareness and then it became you know more dogmatic as we entered the Kali Yuga and we became really ritualistic so I was already grasping very few of these concepts as I was technically a Hindu but not really religious and then when I graduated in 2000 I went to um, 
Um, I went to college in Southern California and I started meeting people from all over the world, listening to all types of music. And as I was doing that, I started having a, a question in my mind. And the question was, uh, what is the root of all of this information that I'm coming across? You know, I was finding out about um, um, Jesus and similarities into Hinduism. The one thing that really stood out to me was the fact that, you know, a lot of Christians believe that Hinduism is a fake religion or not legit because it has many, many gods, but there's only really one God. But I was seeing all these similarities between Christianity and Hinduism. So I was like, that's very interesting. There must be some, some sort of common source. First of all, disclaimer, Hinduism is not a polytheistic religion. It's actually one God, many reflections of the one. So that's even like misunderstood. So like when I started realizing that, um, why, why do we focus so much on what makes us seem to be different when we have so many things in common, right? Especially when it comes to religion. So that was the first thing that really started my exploration down the rabbit hole. And as I was exploring, I was really into science, quant um, you know, just energy frequencies. I was also exploring from that aspect. So the first thing I came across were the Sumerian scriptures as I was diving deep to like, what's the origination? And in the Sumerian scriptures, it's almost verbatim Genesis 1-1 taken from the Sumerian scriptures and put into the Old Testament. However, instead of God, it talks about star beings, right? So that was like, whoa, wake up call. And just to add one more to that, the Epic of Gilgamesh that was in the Sumerian scriptures, which was uh, the flood story, which talks about this giant hybridized being interacting with all types of other beings on the planet was also from the Sumerian scriptures, but that's Noah's story from the Old Testament. So could it be that all these religions are borrowing from older texts? And is it possible that these older texts are talking about something that isn't just like a God sitting on a throne in another dimension, but some sort of beings that interacted with that planet? That was really the beginning of it all. And I just kept going from there. That is so wonderful. Well, first I want to say like, Sindhu, the first thing that popped in my mind was syndicate, like syndicated frequencies through multi-dimensions. And that, that's where these stories are, are like really coming from. And uh, we have very similar backgrounds. My first degrees are in cultural and uh, archaeology. And um, so I have spent a lot of time all over the world with different uh, indigenous groups, only to find out that all the stories are the same. And it just yeah. seems like when that really started happening, then that was like the, the grounding aspect of like, we'll say the, the, the human expression of my genetics so that the, the star family, the galactic genetics could come in and have a foundation to really thrive and then, you know, become one. And so when those two, we'll say genetic, uh, uh, genetics started coming in and started to come into coherence with each other, then that was like the fullness of my consciousness of, of all of these realities coming in to mm. one, we'll say singularity perception, and then being able to uh, wield uh, alchemy and geometry and light and, 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 uh, and all of that and start to create my own form to recognize mm. that like, I'm like the creator here right? I'm, I'm creating this. I can, the, all of the, the universe is, is part of our creation, people of yeah. our consciousness. Yeah. And you have so beautifully brought together so many people who are speaking to the beautiful genetic inheritance that we have, conscious genetic inheritance that we have um, all over this planet and, and through uh, our, our galactic brothers and sisters. 
And the information that's coming through Portal to Ascension on genetics right now, I think is some of the best that I've seen. And uh, I'm, I just really want to honor you and honor, honor that. And I have a previous life uh, that I remember of being Sumerian and coming here. And part of my, one of my missions was to rewrite some of the things that happened at that time frame because there was, there was a genetic encoding that got inserted there that was false. And so I've been working with genetics to rewrite that. Wow. Um, so you have gone over the, all over the world. You've been studying uh, different types of archaeology and cultures and cultural stories. And so what are some of the, the things that you, that you feel are the most pertinent and potent for uh, the ascension of our consciousness, where we're going now as, as a species? So what I feel what's most important for us, definitely learning from the past is amazing, you know, and the fact that our timeline, I, we focus a lot on redefining the human timeline. I would say, um, like, I just throw out percentages because I don't know the exact percentage, but I think like around 40% of our content is if, like specifically ancient history oriented, but within the aspect of consciousness and what these beings knew, but really redefining the timeline because I'll give you a great example here. We're told that the Sphinx was built around 3000 BC, but new geological studies with one of the individuals we work closely with as well, Robert Schock, says that it's around 13,000 years old. That's 11,900 BC. You know how that's like thousands of years older than we've been told. It goes into an age where we're supposed to be primitive. Also, Gobekli Tepe, that is the 13,000-year-old structure. They're saying that, oh, yeah, it was the first meeting ground when people first started getting together because they were just nomad hunter-gatherers at that point. But the, the epicness of that site and the harmonics and all the technology architecture put in there definitely goes to show that it was utilized for something else that we can't even grasp. Plus, there's all types of areas that are blocked off that we're not even allowed to explore, which takes me to a tangent of the fact that many of these um, ancient sites are in countries where they have an invested interest in not letting us know what exactly is under there or what they have found. Uh, for example, Egypt's in an Islamic country. They definitely love to... Um, you know, uh, utilize the fact that they have these ancient sites there for the tourism. But at the same time, there are certain things that could come out that could really redefine the whole time of, it, of Islam and what true religion is and where we came from in Peru. Peru is the biggest archaeological site in the entire planet. You can go to somebody's backyard and start digging and chances are you'll find something like it's like that. When I went down to Peru, we went to people's backyards because that's where discoveries were found. Um, there was like a whole entire graveyard of elongated skull beings in from the Paraka civilization that was completely robbed by grave robbers with like bones and hair and pottery everywhere that we had to off-road for three hours into the desert that had no fencing, nothing. It was just a place you needed to find through GPS coordinates, right? So it's like, and the one of the reasons that they don't want, you know, Peru is so big of an archaeological site that they can't like section off every single area in order to make it that people can be preserved, preserve the site and go there. But also they don't want anybody doing the, the DNA studies on the elongated skulls because these things will are going to blow the lid of organized religion, right? So when it comes to our ancient history, what we're really going to realize here is that we've been way more advanced than we think that we have. That time only progressed linearly since the last flood. And what we see is we see a tohu vohu, which is an Aramaic term from the um, Old Testament. In the beginning was void and desolate. Well, tohu vohu actually translates to voided and desolated, not void and desolate. 
So what does that mean? There was something before, right? So as the everything was uh, voided and desolated, we tracked human progression from that point onwards, linear time. But then when we go beyond that and we go to cultures that existed beyond that or have stories beyond before the flood, right? We start seeing that time is more secular and that we've had beings on this planet that not only had a higher level of consciousness, maybe some sort of advanced technology, but also were um, tapped into maybe having the ability to communicate with the stars or even travel to the stars, right? So that goes into the Atlantean story. So a lot of this stuff is coming out now. There's evidence coming out that, you know, Atlantis existed. People are finding all types of submerged um, areas around the world. But if humanity goes through 26,000 year cycles of consciousness, right? Evolution, devolution, and we're only able to find the last cycle. Imagine how many cycles may have existed on the planet and how many cataclysms could have occurred to completely reset society. And so there might have been, there might be so many civilizations that are completely lost to time that we won't find. So I feel like just understanding the mistakes that were made in the past and the, the cycles of time and the cataclysms that our planet attracts, right? There's some sort of the physics.org has an article and they said, this is mainstream science. And they said they were tracking the flood and the cataclysms on earth over the last hundred thousand years. And then they said, this is their own quote. Earth is adhering to some sort of pattern that is attracting cataclysmic, cataclysmic disasters. Yep. Like that goes into some synchronistic stuff right there about how the fact that we're on this like cycle where we're attracting a reset over and over. But what our what we could do now is if we understand that with our technology, we can navigate past that, through that, break through that karmic cycle, and then we can continue evolving and become like a very, very advanced, spiritually advanced and, you know, and also technologically advanced civilization. Absolutely. Um, a few things that I want to say is that uh, my first archaeological dig was uh, the native uh, Anasazi. And oh. shortly after that, I got to go to um, the um, to visit Chaco Canyon and the, the where the Chicanos came in. And it was so interesting because the information that I downloaded there was that they were giving the, the Kachinas were there giving genetics to the people. They were bringing in the species of animals that were coming in. And the same thing with yeah. Globetepe. When I remote view Globetepe Tepe, that like these were harmonic vices to bring in genetics for people, for the, the beings that were here already. And I just recently got to spend the last um, year, over a year in Mexico, going to all the pyramids. And what is so interesting is about uh, I was there kind of uh, fielding some of the genetics that were there, but the, the sacred geometry, all the geometry of how they were working with elements and geometrical structures and toroidal fields and how they were using the water and the mercury there to create, uh, we'll say, higher um, frequencies of consciousness. And what is so interesting is when you get to Teotihuacan, and Teotihuacan is the only one that has the balloons, right? The balloons that float over Teotihuacan. And it, it's like, when you get there, you have the, the frequential memory is there of a, a group of beings whose consciousness who ascended a certain level of cycles. And that's why the balloons are there. You know, you can, it, it, it is the, you know, so above, so below, it is yeah. the genetic memory expressing itself around those sites. Wow. And, um, I'm yet to go there. But if you oh, ever go to an archaeological site and do a dig again, let me know because that's one of my I, goals in life. I, I, I would love will. to. 
yeah. then, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time at Palenque and Bonon Park. And, Lovely. you know, you spent time at, at Palenque and Palenque is so uh, wonderful because it's in the jungle. You know, it's yeah. not like Chichen Itza where like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people go there a day. It, yeah. is, it is more pristine and you get to feel all the 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 imprints of the, the the consciousness and the geometrical structures with the jungle and you get more of that downloaded information of the pureness of their consciousness of what they were doing you know and that's really what it what it's about it's this this purity of consciousness and the creation with all of these multi-dimensional elements such as like you know refraction patterns of light and geometry and yeah. and elements in water and being able to create form and and, and evolve the body and our consciousness into that next phase where we can release ourselves out of these cycles. Uh -huh. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're amazing. We should go traveling together. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, uh, so uh, I love Palenque because it's okay. So even the way they put the windows and the way the wind flows through is just like done in such an amazing way. They have like a natural air conditioning, you know. Um, yeah. And one of the structures, like when you go up it, where the astronomers and mathematicians were at. There's this little um, this seating area where they basically would sit and have discussions. And there's these slabs. I don't know if you've seen them, but there's these slabs that you can play. And they sound like hollowed out, basically, frequency machines. Like, And those slabs were on top of the roof um, back in the day. And they fell off when the roof caved in. So even the structure was made in a way that when the wind would naturally come through, even in Egypt, we see this in many other places, that you know, if the wind came through, if it rained, and if it banged against the structure, you would hear these harmonic frequencies. However, what they realized is the wind just coming through, just blowing through naturally without actually having to create a sound is still triggering the stone enough to emanate that frequency at a consistent basis, whether you can hear it or not. So it's like they had some sort of, they definitely had harmonics and um, oh, yeah. acoustics in mind, but just the fact that they had specific tones and frequencies coming out of these things as well goes to show that maybe they were using it for some sort of connection to the divine, downloads, or, you know, or even some maybe even healing on some level. Yeah, well, when you look at how they structure the pyramids, uh, when you look at uh, like, we'll say hypercubes, right? C cubic structures is they're using crystalline cubes as containers of consciousness. They're programming, those pyramids are a program of an elevation of consciousness. And so each each level has, you know, its own altar in it and its own information in it of what the transcension is and what the program is. And there's all kinds of different crystals that they're using that are, are specific to the actual structure of the of the of the stones because this is how they've learned to program the molecular structure of these stones and and work with the, the consciousness there and right. uh, I had a very visceral experience when I was in Bonan Park and I had uh, a memory of painting some of the tombs there in Bonan Park and one of the things that I was painting wow. is this uh almost like a black circle with a little bit of red and a, and a dot in the center. And it kind of looks like an Aboriginal type of uh, design that's there. And it was literally our gen gen genome and that we were giving it, we were, we were sharing it with other people. And that's, that's why there are so many um, um, uh, people that were in uh, Mexico in that area, we're talking millions and millions of people, and that it was a, it was an epicenter of of trade and discussion. It wasn't like that they, they were you know 
sitting in the jungle, not doing anything like being, you know, <laughs> yeah. and um, so that this, this genome was, it had so many multidimensional representations of information. It was a cell, it was a genome, it was um, the, the, our planets, it was the eye of God. It, you know, it has all these multiple uh, multidimensional. You said it was a circle with a dot in the middle? In the dot in the middle. Yeah, like yeah. this right here. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, we became very uh, uh, good friends with some of the Malacombe people that are there. And, um, you know, the Malacombe people are these beautiful people, like just the most loving connected to um, the jungle energy, the, the, the jungle intelligence. And, you know, they're, they're stewarding this type of information and keeping it as yeah. as pristine as they possibly can with the real information not the false archaeological scientific information that everybody wants to give you know to sit to fit in these little like linear structures and um so it, you know that that whole place is is so incredible and they've only excavated like a third of what's what's there yeah yeah, yeah. we're led to believe go ahead the whole of no, the whole of Central Mexico. I mean, the, definitely the world, but Central Mexico. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in Mexico, in Central Mexico, but mm. not Central, not Central Mexico. I mean, the whole of Central Americas. Yeah. Um, definitely through the the jungle in Guatemala and Yucatan, they've only excavated yeah, like five, ten, fifteen percent of a lot of areas. And there's all types of cities because we have lidar now, so we have laser radar where we're able to find all yeah. these cities, but they don't even have the ability to get to it yet. So just imagine how much richness is there. Plus, back in the day it wasn't as so um, jungly, you know? So a lot of these areas, like for example, in Uxmal, um, there's like three sites right next to it. But if you, uh, if the trees weren't there, it, there were actually sites connecting all these areas, like one big um, metropolis rather than three individual sites. So their level of awareness and what, um, you know, and their society was so advanced and tribes from all over the Americas would come down yeah. here, right? From North America, from South America, and they would interact in basically this Mexico region um, in order to do trade and also talk about spiritual practices. Um, I just came from San Miguel de Allende and over there um, next to San Miguel is, uh, is this um, observatory, um, ancient pyramid pilgrimage site. And the way it goes is that even when you take the bus there, the bus drops you off 20 minutes before the site and then you need to take the old pilgrimage pathway into the site like the ancients did. And, um, basically this area was a place for all the indigenous tribes of the americas to come down to basically pay homage and to have connection and also there's this waterbed there that would reflect the milky way galaxy that they would use as an observatory right and recently they found um actually a few years ago they found a body of a priest right that was the head priest of this whole area and they just did dna studies on it and they realized it was a priestess and she was mayan and this wow. is all the way up, yeah. up north of Mexico City, which isn't technically the Mayan area. Yeah, yeah. Right? What, what's really cool is they're doing uh, genetic studies right now, and they're uh, figuring out that some of the, the Maya came up through a canoe to cross and came up through the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico, through Florida, and then came into, I'm, I'm indigenous Chalagi, Cherokee, and started to come and be a part of and intermingle with the, yes. um, it, the, the indigenous nations of that area. And mm -hmm. so 
um, you know, we're led to believe that these these people, you know, disappeared. Where millions and millions and millions of people just disappeared. And then we're also led to believe that they were like these warring, uh, you know, cutting off the heads of people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and it, it is so far from, from the truth of what, what the epicenter of consciousness that was happening at that period of time. Right, right. Yeah. And you got to realize, too, that these civilizations existed for thousands of years, 3,000, 4,000 years, and they actually existed with multiple cycles of time multiple ages of consciousness so there may have been periods of brutality may have been periods of war but there's also periods of enlightenment but to just like um say that basically because of what they did for a certain few hundred years you know you know even the evidence even questions even if that's legit but just to say if that's what they did when they were around for three thousand years is almost judging ourselves for being a direct descendants from the romans you know what i'm saying so it's yeah. like when they, when people say oh the mayans yeah they were um, brutal aztecs cut people's heads off we got to realize this civilization existed way longer than the U.S. has even been around. Absolutely. You know, so many things have. And it's so funny that, like, um, why, like, they did not have the borders back then. But it's almost like we're like, oh, all these tribes started at the Mexico border. And then they just stayed down south. But no one ever came north. But yeah. there weren't borders. And they were traveling freely. Even Mich uh, Michigan is connected to Michoacan, where, is where, where it comes from. And there was a pyramid found in the lake and there was these hunters like this whole documentary where they were trying to find this pyramid um in the lake there and they believe it's connected to a tribe from michigan in mexico right i'm, so I'm from michigan okay nice 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 yeah so so many so many connections um i did a presentation uh once on um where it's called where did all the pyramids in north america go and then part of it was the premise was how come starting at the Mexican border, you see these megalithic, amazing, incredible structures, but then when you go like boop, right over the border, there's just mounds and nothing else. As if to say like only the advanced people were down south, but there were no advanced people up north. And the answer is, well, there were actually advanced pyramid structures in North America, but the majority of them, if not all of them, completely destroyed. And what happened was, um, you know, even in 1901, the um, the Smithsonian came out with an article about the Sphinx and the pyramids found in the Grand Canyon. And then all of a sudden, now they're denying that even happens. But if you look online for the news article, you can still find the actual article that they released about what was found there. So the North Europeans, like the, the white Europeans compared to the Latin Europeans had a different mentality. The North Europeans were more like, um, you are lesser than me, we will obliterate you. The, the Latin Europeans were like, you're lesser than me, we will impregnate you, and we'll take over your culture. So, wow. yeah, so what happened is, in North America, they were like, oh my god, you, we cannot have you, anybody think that you're better than us, let's destroy you. Whereas the, like, um, the Spanish, the Italians, the Portuguese, they actually kind of liked the structures, and they didn't feel that they felt so much more period in a non-insecure way, I guess, to the point where they didn't destroy this stuff, they just, they left it there. And, and they basically just created a hybrid race, you know, where it took quite a long time before the integration of the natives in the North America and the white man in North America, too. Absolutely. My mother's maiden name is Gonzalez, and we came from a, a, an island off of Spain all the way through the Maya from the Yucatan and then up Whoa. through. And so then my father, wow. last name is Wallace. So I'm directly descended from Sir William Wallace. And that line came all the way through uh, Ireland and uh, Canada and then all the way down. And yeah. it is like the last of the Mohicans is actually about my whole family story. <laughs> wow. And they're bringing culmination of these genetics to peace, 
you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's yeah, the opportunity we have right by by being hybrids ourselves is yeah, we can bring peace to this mm-hmm. but yeah. we're, we hold the dna we hold the trauma of what happened to us but then we also have the modalities to release that but a lot of people in the world are unaware of that so they're living the trauma of the genetics basically including that's- genetics off planet including the dna wars that occurred for thousands of years Absolutely. I mean, that's, this is what I do the last seven years that I've spent is, is healing these, these cycles of, of, of genetic karma that has happened. And one of the things that I've witnessed about healing cycles is when people get caught in healing cycles is that they haven't uh, accessed and given homage to the dimensional level of something that was created. You were, you could have been something uh, other than human at another dimensional level and created a, a karmic imprint. And in order for that to heal, you have to tap back into the dimensional level in order for it to uh, have its, its say and release yeah. and then, then recoded. Right, because so, DNA yeah. is not just is not just um, physical, it's holographic and etheric. Holographic, yeah. yeah, you're speaking my language now. And like, that's, <laughs> that's why sound is so important, I feel. And what your work is so important is that, you know, we're looking at geometry. We've been looking at geometry in 2D and then 3D, but now we're getting to the point where we can see it uh, holocymatically and moving. And genetics is holocymatic. It is actually pulsing in and out of dimensional and it, dimensions. And it's it's this is the the experience of like timeline shifting all the time that are, people are experiencing. It's actually the genetics moving and phasing in and out like cymatic structures through densities of 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 field information of space of our genesis story and so um i would love to get back to to sound and what you have been uh noticing about sound frequencies and our evolution and in um ancient civilizations mm-hmm. so uh, i'm going to tie this part into it because you were just saying what you just said was so awesome that you know the tesseract, right? The fourth dimensional geometry, the tesseract. If you look at it in a in a simulation, it's going in and out of itself. It's like doing this weird thing. It's almost like a a, a boat in a bottle, kind of going in and out. So that in itself is a fourth dimensional geometry. That now we're just going. It's like a dimension within a dimension, you know. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's tuning in, just type in tesseract um, simulation on the internet and try to like see what that looks like and see how trippy it is that it's beyond the third dimensional geometries, right? So now in regards to sound, the whole premise is, you know, yesterday I was at an event and they asked if there was anything you would have anybody ask themselves a question that would transform their lives, what would it be? And I was like, um, if everybody, okay, if everybody thought if all things are made of subatomic particles vibrating in and out of reality, yet I see everything as physical and solid, but we can now quantify that we're not actually solid beings, then what the heck am I? That was my question, because like ultimately this computer and all this stuff, and it's not just like a theory anymore. We can actually have the tools to break through the atomic world, Newtonian physics, which is everything, an atom and above, to the subatomic world. And we realize the the particles that make up the atomic world, the physical world, are vibrating frequencies. So if, if that's the case, then why do we see things the way we see them? If everything is vibration, why do we perceive it? And therein lies the illusion. Therein lies the computer program. Therein lies the physical hologram. What else What else um, vibrates in and out of reality? Holograms, actual holograms that we yeah. create is a vibrating light frequency. So like you, some people take that as like AI, artificial stuff, but I take that as we're pure light vibrating. 
you know? And because of that, um, we're now understanding that Newtonian physics and subatomic physics are paradoxical to each other. So we're now got to a fact that whatever makes up the Newtonian world is a paradox to the Newtonian physics. That makes no sense. The human mind, we can't fathom it. You, you know how I know we're not fully enlightened yet? It's because we don't understand a paradox. But we, can, we understand that paradoxes exist, but we can't understand why they exist. The universe is infinite, but it's also finite. We're vibrating beings, but we're also solid matter. You know, there's all these paradoxes everywhere. So now what's happening is we've pierced through the veil. We've exited the Kali Yuga. We've entered the Dwarpa Yuga, tying it into ancient history. And now the, in the Dwarpa Yuga, the theme of the Kali Yuga, uh, the age of authority, the age of delusion, the age of hierarchy. No need to explain any of those probably, right? And then the age of uh, the Dwarpa Yuga, the age of sovereignty. Well, that's what's happening. We're figuring out how to be oh, sovereign. Yeah. We're not, we're not following um, Alexander the Great across tens of countries with on our feet bleeding in order to just kill him, right? We're like, we're like, wait a second, maybe fly us out there first. <laughs> the, and the age of energy, right? The Dwarpa Yuga is the age of energy. So in the beginning of the Dwarpa Yuga, we, we realize electricity. Oh, energy. When did the Dwarpa Yuga's um, um, transition begin? 1700. So age of energy, electricity. What happened when we were fully in the Dwarpa Yuga starting in 1900? Quantum physics, subatomic energy. What happens when we finish the Dwarpa Yuga? Holy crap, we are energy. What do we do to use that? So now we're beginning getting to the point of understanding that we are frequency. So now how this connects to sound is that sound frequency vibration, you know, in the beginning was the word. And I'm about to do a presentation in a few days from here called Origin Stories of Humanity. Um, and that presentation is going to be about mostly about the fact that all these ancient stories had so many things in common. And one thing was that the first thing before God even existed was the word, was sound. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Paradox. How can the word be God and with God at the same exact time? Because the universe is a paradox. They're telling us right there, Genesis 1 1. You know what I'm saying? So, like, now we're realizing that we're all sound and vibration. So we're going to start creating tools, technology. We're doing it already in order to harmonize our frequency body. All ailments and sicknesses, all uh, delusions, uh, disharmony in our body comes from the fact that there's some disruption in our frequency, in our energetic fields. We're subatomic beings vibrating. A vibration creates an electromagnetic field. An electromagnetic field in metaphysics is called the aura. If we have a disharmonic vibration, then our aura energetic field is also going to be disharmonic and we're going to live a disempowered life. So what is going to happen now is we're using tools to basically bring ourselves back to true harmony. And when we all come back to this true harmony, we also get to a point where we start healing our individual and collective traumas. When the individual and collective traumas are collectively healed and we're all in harmony, then we go to what? Another octave of existence. It's all music. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we, we all need to be in harmony so that we can take our harmony to the next octave. And that's basically, you know, what I love to explore. I love to explore sound and frequency because every topic can come from it. Because yeah. even I can even talk about my mouse controller in regards to it. Because guess what? My mouse controller is made out of frequencies, you know? So it's like, it's a good foundation to really understand what's going on, um, even with ET contact. The reason why we don't see ET all the time everywhere it's because it's a frequency game. It's a harmonic <laughs> vibration. When you shift your vibration, you know, that's something I like to say, like when you shift your frequency, you will see, 
right? And as we shift our frequencies, collectively, we may one day enter a world where we just start seeing like how amazing everything is and how there's like star beings everywhere and people interacting with us. I think that's already happening. And so many people are having telepathic contact already and, mm -hmm. you know, well, and then physical contact. But the reason I, I named this series, this is my fourth series, is genetics and freedom, because I mm -hmm. feel like this is where we're standing on. For the last seven years, I've been helping people clear and recode genetics using light and geometry in a 12-strand template, right? When you find a program, you release the program, and then you rebuild the fabric of the, of the strand of DNA with light and geometry and consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And then we tune the strands, and each, each strand of DNA, of the 12 strands of DNA, has a tonality to them. And when mm -hmm. you tune them, they start to come in harmony. So if you have like a lower set of strands to like, let's say, just say the upper dimensional set of strands, because each one is, is correlated to a dimension, dimensional yeah. reality of consciousness. And when one is not communicating with the other, they're disharmony. But when you bring them into communication, they create harmonics. So you, when you have these 12 harmonics, 12 strands in, in, in harmony, they create what I call the 13th harmonic. And the 13th harmonic opens you up to another set of 12 strands of, of, of DNA yeah. then in another 12 dimensions. So then you're now working in 24 dimensions instead of 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Because uh, so as I'm exploring, you know, this is um, I haven't had the opportunity to tap into an extraterrestrial consciousness to give me the validation of this. But this is my what my research has come to is that within this um, physical universe galaxy, well, dimensions and densities, there's so many different variations of it, parallel dimensions. Yeah, exactly. So, but when you come into the construct of this physical Milky Way galaxy experience, there's these 13 dimensions, whereas the 13th is the void, right? And that also goes with the 12 apostles and the one Jesus, the whole reason why 13 was, you know, banned and the Mayans number 13 and all that stuff. And so- and you, There's you, 12 tribes and-, and Right, exactly, exactly. And so then um, what we have the opportunity to be in this on this body is one of two things, you know, I'm leaning towards the hope that we're able to be 12 dimensional beings um, while still existing in the physical body, right? And then um, each of the strands connects to it, but each of the chakras also connects to it too. Every chakra is a dimension. And a lot of people that are, you know, channelers, people that tap in the angelic realm, they say that your physical body still exists within this dimension, you could still have a physical body up until seven dimensions. And then when you get to the eighth dimension, you get to an oversoul dimension where you can still be in a physical universe on a planet, but you become more energy, a light body, right? So we have the potential to activate and harmonize every chakra, which is the seven dimensions, pulling data from all of those dimensions into our consciousness and then living it out here. Because in every dimension, there's a whole other uh, experience of who we are, what are the beings from this level? What do they know about source? It's almost like we're unraveling and unfolding this. And we've been gifted these bodies, these avatars in order to basically tap into maybe the whole 12 dimensional set. And then when we get to the 12 dimensional set, we're gifted the singularity, which is that understanding of the black hole in the center of it. But that's still just a fractal from the next level of it all, right? Yeah. And then that probably takes us to the next one. So that's my, my theory basically. I, I love that. And uh, when we when we understand these these different types of consciousness harmonics and we release ourselves from like the, the personality matrix constructs and we even from the, the soul construct will say is that we have the opportunity to be free flowing 
our genetics in freedom. And that means energy and freedom. And that at that level, you can start to see all of these different dimensional aspects of, of our, our experience. And, you know, again, this is why so many people are, are having um, experiences with different types of monad consciousness or soul groups or, or whatever is because we are not still separate from this progression of dimensional experiences. And why, what we're, I, I think why we're here is to, to, to bring this in, into this body and have an evolution of this body into this experience fully and freely, you know? And so then when we have this expression, we're still never disconnected from all of these other dimensional experiences. And the singularity point is like the witnessing of that, is knowing that, is knowing that you are not any one of these dimensional experiences, but all of these dimensional experiences, and that you can then wield them, right? And you're, it's like every thought that we think has a life of its own. It has energy. It spins off and does other things. And when we start to step into the power of that, the power of our consciousness through dimensions, we can release civilizations, we can release galaxies, we can, we, you know, we can liberation and freedom for all because then we truly understand that every thought that we think is going to go and have a life of its own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So, so separation is like straight up an illusion, like, because we're, yeah, we're the guides and our beings and our oversouls and our ET lives and, um, you know, our star family feel that connection with us all the time because they have that tapped into awareness already, but we have this illusion that we're separate from it, which is also another paradox, is that we're connected, but we're given the free will to feel that we're not, you know, yeah. and, and as we, um, as we ascend to these higher octaves, we're able to basically bring back the, in the game, that, because in the game, it's all just one code, but, and it's all connected, but in the game, you're still going from one place to another place to pick up the pieces that you've left everywhere in order to bring it back to yourself, even though it was all in one hard drive all along. <laughs> yeah. You don't realize that the code is infinite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think that it has small structures of, of zeros and ones when it's really in a tertiary form and it's, it's quantum, three, six, nine quantum. And so- yep. Yeah. And, and uh, so going back to, to the sound frequencies, what are some of the, the, the things that, well, I'll go this way instead. One of the things that I'm really interested in right now is the way that we are moving in, in space. Like the earth is moving with our solar system and our galaxy and other galaxies. And I just had William Brown on from the Residence Academy. Uh, Academy and, and Taurus Tech with uh, Nassim Harriman, and they just wrote a paper talking about space memory and um, our Genesis story, recognizing that the like the black the black black holes are have parts of holographic are are part of the holographic information that is being uh, we'll say um, it's not projected because it's all happening at the same time, but it is part of the space memory that we're experiencing through Akashic memory and through through the organization of genetics. And it is when, when they have a, a whole mathematical thing where they're talking about how all of the planets kind of like work together and move together and create this harmonic device of holographic information. And again, it's light 
you know, refraction patterns of light and sound and also infinite surface area of space. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, like what you've been finding out with your uh, following sound um, about the bigger cycles that we're having because I think that the, the, the cycles are, are relative to, the, to our conscious experience. Like we're, we're, we've created these cycles over and over. These 13,000 year cycles are our consciousness and playing out. And in order for us to transcend them, then there's got to be some frequency harmonics, right? That, that harmonize us with all of these bigger galactic cycles as like a portal to ascension. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that in before I even explain it. Mm. So there definitely, it seems like there are cycles within cycles within cycles, you know, like the inner workings of a clock within another clock within another clock. There's the, um, and you can go to ancient India to see the, the huge yuga cycles, 432,000 years, right? 760,000 years. And then you have the 26,000 year cycle, which is 13,000 years here, 13,000 years there. When our solar system goes around the galaxy, we're not just going around the galaxy like this, we're going in waves, but the waves are like a Fibonacci spiral of waves. And as we're doing that, we're going um, above the galactic disk, right? Which is also... Um, a paradox in itself. I love paradoxes, by the way, in case you don't know. Uh, is because is there any flat space in in space? Is there a flat disk in space? Like, what does that even mean? Is there a north and south? So, like, we go above and we go below. In the period that we go in between, in the photon belt, is a two hundred year period, which happens to coincide with the two hundred year transitory phase between the yuga cycles up to twenty six thousand years. Right? When we go into the um, the the plus part of our solar system, um, there is more of a harmonic experience. Those are the ascending ages, right? When we go into the downward part, those are the descending ages, which have the same exact ages, but one's the descending ones. The golden age going up, the golden age going down kind of thing, you know? The Kali Yuga going up, the Kali Yuga going down. So as we're doing that, you know, I did a presentation called um, Galactic Origins in the Milky Way Galaxy. And within that, I did a lot of research to find out the anomalies of the Milky Way. So one thing that has now been discovered is that our Milky Way galaxy is emanating a bow shock, a harmonic frequency. Imagine a drum, and then you hit the drum, and imagine that you could see and perceive the vibration going off it, right? Our Milky Way galaxy is actually creating a bow shock going upwards, not downwards, but upwards. So whatever, when, and this is mainstreamly accepted now and esoterically known for a while. When the Milky Way galaxy, when that solar system goes into the upward part, all of a sudden, for that 13,000 years, we're receiving this drum-like bow shock off our galaxy going upwards like this, hitting our galaxy, creating all types of experiences here, also assisting with ascension, assisting with certain levels of awareness. When we go into the photon belt, we're directly connected with, within the line of sight with the Milky Way galaxy and the radiation coming from it. It's been accepted by astronomer, astronomers for ages now that the radiation of every star that light hits the planet has an effect on our experience on earth not only our experience but a level of consciousness the mm -hmm. sun can supernova somewhere and then all of a sudden the light stops because it's taken that long to get to earth and that can make somebody make a different decision that can make assist with the rise and falls of empires so it's almost like everything within our entire galaxy and our universe that is able to affect our planet 
is affecting it on some level and it's all doing it exactly the way it should but there's billions of different influences all working together to create that experience yeah. right so how does that even work well on one level you can here's a paradox on one level you can say well we're a puppet to the stars okay we cannot um do this until we get here well this star does this this does this to us but on the other level you could say well if we're a holographic projection of consciousness the external stars are actually a reflection of the division within us. This is a Nassim Harriman thing. Nassim Harriman, I watched for 17 hours, the first video I ever watched in 2001. And this is where I got this from. Um, so basically, he was, um, he was in a bus, like to take a little detour here. He was in a bus at school. I think he was under 13. And um, he, in his math class earlier, the teacher was like, this is zero dimension, but one dot on the... Um, wall and drew a line this is one dimension yeah and then when he was in the bus he was having this like realization of what does that mean like uh, he didn't understand how that could be one dimension so all of a sudden he had an astral travel experience he left the planet he became um he saw earth un until it became a dot he saw solar system until it became a dot he saw a galaxy until it became a dot he saw the universe until it became a dot and from this understanding he started realizing that you cannot um infinity we can't fathom infinity right externally like what's outside the universe well what's outside that well outside my hand is this outside this is this right but what we can realize what we do understand is you can continuously divide infinitely okay mm -hmm. so you have one cell you divide it you divide it you divide it you divide it and you, you can go forever we everybody on earth can be like yeah if you divide point zero 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 whatever it's going to give you a number but they still can't fathom the infinite, what's outside the infinite. Well, what happens is the universe, the infinite universe is a reflection of the division within us. So that's why all of this external reality, every single element of it is affecting our planet is because really we have all of that universe inside of us that we're reflecting outside of us, but we forgot. And because we forgot, we're allowing it to affect us in a way unconsciously where we're like, oh my God, we're puppets. So what happens when we become the creators again? We start being able to manipulate in a beautiful harmonic way our external reality and then that's the whole thing with Michikaku says, we become a type two civilization, we become a type three civilization, and we start being able to harness the elements around us and not have to even be in, within the Goldilocks zone to even be alive, you know? So, um, so yes, just to tie it all into sound frequency. So everything here, the radiation, the frequency, the light, the light, you know, being God, the word being the sound, all of this is having an effect on us. Now that we're in this upturning consciousness and we've gone through the photon belt into this other experience, we're the galactic weather of where we're at right now is supporting us in basically getting to a level of consciousness that we can basically remember who we truly are and actually implement that on this planet. Now, a lot of people have said that this is the end of the karmic cycle. And I am split between that because on one level, I don't judge the cycles that it maybe we're supposed to have these experiences because that's part of the game. Forget, remember. But on, on another level, it could really be time for us to completely shift out of this harmonic, um, um, you know, this octave and go to a place where we continue progressing rather than having to reset the planet over and over again. So I would hope that that is the way it is, but I haven't had any direct download of 
how long this is going to be lasting for. Is it going to be that we're just getting back into the Kali Yuga? I mean, getting back to the Satya Yuga, the Golden Age, and then we're going to come back down to this age again? Or are we going to continue, you know, going up into other levels? Uh, and just to add one more thing there, each age has an age within an age. So because there's a galactic, um, there's a galactic cycle as well. So not only is there a 26,000 year of the galaxy, I mean, of the solar system, but there's like the um, million plus year cycle of the galaxy, but the galaxy is also rotating around something in the center of our universe. There's a universal cycle. Every cycle has its own set of karmic belief systems and constructs or matrix, or whatever you want to call it. And as we transcend one, then we are now part of a bigger collective cycle. So the golden age has a, a dark age of the golden age, a dark age of the solar system within the golden age of the uh, of the um, galaxy. Um, or you could even say a golden age of the golden age, a golden age of the 26,000 year cycle within the golden age of the galactic cycle. And that's the Indian text talk about, right? So, so there's all types of different things going on and many different variations of experiences. And that's pretty much all I'll share with that. I just kind of ranted for a while. <laughs> no, that was so awesome. And I think a, a really great way to explain what you're talking about, uh, these waves as like uh, consciousness, right? That are coming through, um, you know, from stars and, and from other galaxies. And, you know, people say the, the Big Bang and, and all that. These are, these are waves of light and frequency that are coming through dimensions and they're picking up consciousness along the way. And if mm. you think of like one flashlight and, and like there's a flashlight and it's being emanated out, that's kind of like what we're talking about. And you can see through the flashlight, if you've ever looked at like had the flashlight in smoke, you can see the dimensions of light, you know, happening through the flashlight. But then what mm. happens when you have 10 or 12 flashlights all in different directions and pointed in one singularity point? We're like that singularity point. Yes. And we're like the singularity point of consciousness and light. Right. You know, so, that comes to a whole other um, a definition of me saying we're the biggest light show in the universe. Because oh, I was talking about I was talking about how everybody's looking at us because the galactic ancestry, but you just made it even freaking on next level. All these lights were shining on us and we're the point of singularity with the light show. Yeah, <laughs> we're the light show. And and I think in order to understand like like all of this, this is where like the new human genetics start stepping in is because we need a different construction of the mind, how the, the, the neurons actually work and, and that we need our whole brain to be not in, in, you know, right and left and, you know, back and front hemispheres, but one uh, unified system of creation and that, that this creates a, a completely new body so that we can uh, have these types of concepts, the more infinite complexity mm -hmm. concepts, and we can follow them out and we can create with them. And that's what, that's what the new human genetics are. They're, they're systems of, of upgrading this body that, so that we can have the complexity of these concepts and step into the real right, creative right. power that we have. Yeah. I mean, even if you, like, if we just put aside the esoteric so that we can, like, tell someone else that maybe isn't even into this or, like, completely immersed into some fundamental religion, the whole aspect is like, look at our ability to process information and awareness of ourselves and who we are as individuals and the science behind it all compared to a thousand, two thousand years ago, right? Just our ability to process, even our understanding of our own psychology, the reasons why we do things and the traumas and how those traumas affect us, right? This is on the just the mainstream level. We can realize that our ability to process our um, who we are as individuals and transform 
you know, and become something that from like, even our bodies are so resilient, we could be traumatized and injured and sick, and then we can shift it. And now we have the tools and the knowledge and the awareness to basically do that. So that in itself, I feel like we can really quantify on the mainstream that you're exactly right, that our genetics have been shifted now to be able to process more awareness and more stimuli so that we can actually fathom what's really going on in our place within the universe. And we're, we're turning into a new species. And I, I believe my, the term I have for that is homo luminous. Like yeah. we're, you know, and that this is why I love to study science and quantum physics, because it, it, it really does explain what is happening. And so when you understand crystallized crystals in your, in your body, your pineal gland, your, your DNA, and you understand refraction patterns of crystals, then it starts to make sense how we're, we're speaking holographic information, we're speaking right. light. And then, right, right. you know, when you start to study, I'm just going to do a, a screen share real quick. Um, mm -hmm. when, you, when you really start to, can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, when you really start to study the geometries inside DNA, and these are all these are all uh, DNA structures, that mm. you can start to see tetrahedrons and cubes and and uh, hypercubes and that kind of stuff, and that that this is, I mean, we th there are geometries happening inside of of our DNA, and that we can create with them, and we can start exploring them and consciously with light and geometry start constructing the genetics that we're talking about and so um that's kind of like what what my research is is, is being able to put you know these geometries and bring them from two dimensions to four dimensions and beyond so that we can start creating the 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 actual architecture structure of our genetics consciously mm -hmm. for homo luminous yes definitely I love that presentation. If you ever wanted to present it on Portal to Ascension, let me know. Awesome. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so uh, we're up on time and uh, I don't want to keep you unless you have some other things and you're, you're willing. There's some last words that you want to, you know, really share with people. And then also your free gift. You have a free gift too. And I want to make sure that, that uh, we, we really truly promote Portal Ascension because I, I love what you're doing. All right. Yeah, sure. Well, first, like based on what you just said, I, it's made remind me of non-locality, you know, the whole aspect that we're now realizing that um, quantum particles can hold data and we can pull and extract data from one place in um, space time and pull that data from somewhere else on the other side of the planet at the same exact moment without without the need for distance. And that really breaks the whole aspect of does distance even exist? Is time space even really the reality of what we're made out of? How come we can pull data from somewhere that is all the way on the other side of even the solar system, right? And what so with these aspects and these elements are just the beginning phases of us realizing really how the constructs of reality truly is. And as we start uncovering all of this, not only is the technology of humanity going to go to an exponential level, but the human technology, we're going to understand who we are more and realize that many of these things we're able to do ourselves. When you look at ancient cultures, why don't you find tools and some advanced like um, stone melting machines because they did it? Well, I have, I'm starting to lean towards now that they had the ability within their own bodies to make this thing happen. We don't even can't even fathom really the potential of what we can actually become when we start tapping into this awareness, when we start creating technology based on it, traveling to the stars. I really feel that um, part of our experience on Earth is to become the emissaries of how we transcended this darkness with complete amnesia of not even realizing our connection to source, how we still found the light, how we still found connection 
even though the cards were stacked up against us and we came to this planet not even remembering all the past lives and ET lives. And as that time progresses, we're going to go and rejoin the rest of our star family. And that is what I'm working towards with Portal to Ascension is helping people remember their true divinity, who they are, so we can all live on this earth with true empowerment, so we can all really see and hear each other and process our traumas that, um, in a way that allows for us to continue to grow, expand, and create deep connection, you know? And that's pretty much the mission of Portal to Ascension. Mm, that is beautiful. Thank you so much. That's why I love kind of studying uh, hieroglyphs and... Um, and, uh, and uh, petroglyphs is because some petroglyphs are so old, we're talking mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of years old, and they're exposed to elements and they're still there because you have, a, you have people at the, at, who had such a high consciousness that could uh, manipulate the molecular structure of how long something was gonna be there. Mm -hmm. And that is what we have the ability to do. Yes. We just have to recognize that we have the ability to do that. We don't right, even have right. paint that lasts 30 or 40 years. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, I used to think like um, I used to look and try to explore and find the advanced technology from the ancients because we've been more advanced, right? That's what we say for so long, more advanced. So I'm like, where's the technology? Where's the computer chips? But then I realized it's not advanced technology; it's advanced consciousness. Yeah. And when you get to a level of advanced consciousness, you're at peace within yourself. You don't need to create these external things. You don't need a smartphone so you feel more connected. You know, you have that already. So yep. the reason why they're a lot of primitive looking, right, compared to what we think now, uh, petroglyphs and things out there, is because they were living a happy, abundant, fruitful life as it was, but they were at the conscious level where they could actually cultivate it for themselves. They didn't need all these external distractions that we've created. Yeah, they were in full harmonics with nature, and nature mm -hmm. is consciousness. It is, yep. you know. So thank you so much. And then you have a you have a free gift for everyone. I want to make sure that. Yes. Um, do you remember what it was? I can. <laughs> is a paranormal magic and ancient okay, folk yes. conference all right sounds good yeah so on july 10th is the paranormal magic ancient folklore conference and it's the first time that we're doing anything exclusively paranormal and folklore it is something i wanted to do for quite some time um we have around it's going to be a 10-hour event with a panel discussion at the end uh, uh, we actually have some of the, the most renowned people in the world in regards to these topics on there. Um, you know, paranormal investigators, Irish folklore people, fairy pixie kind of download awareness. Uh, these, a lot of these individuals, every one of them has written multiple books on these topics. So it's going to be a really rich, deep um, conversation. And um, especially when it comes to not just the paranormal, but into the elemental realm. You know, what are these uh, fairies and even evidence of these fairies and even video footage. So it's going to be really fun. Um, gifting that to everybody there is a, normally a paid event so we're gonna i don't know if you want me to give the code here or if you're gonna send it we're an gonna email. put it in the email with uh your free gift and your bio yeah. everything you're all right there yeah yeah so yeah please check it out guys and with all our events as um you know as we said earlier there's 110 events a year and with all of them you get unlimited replay access so even if you can't attend on that day you can watch it back whenever you want beautiful well, thank you so much, Neil, for your time and your generosity of your energy in this realm. It is uh, truly spectacular, and uh, you just really deserve to be honored and uh, for what you've really brought through and the ded dedication that you have. So thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you.